Let's pray. Father, we come before your throne in the name of Jesus tonight, and we thank you for this house of worship. We thank you for a nation where we can gather together, Lord God, and express our belief in you in freedom today, Lord. And we do pray for our leaders. We do pray for this man, that you would touch his heart and change this wicked law, and that you would make us as a church responsible, Lord God, and make us to remember what our liberty is for, to preach your gospel, not to exalt ourselves. Lord God, tonight we ask that you'd move in your word, move through your word with us and open our eyes and ears to behold you. We're hungry to see you, to know what you say, what you think, what you do, Father. Take us away from religion and let us see Jesus. Let us hear your words in your heart, Father. That's our desire. And let it thereby change us, Lord, into true Christians, Lord, with a bright and a shining light in this dark world with a love and a compassion for those that are headed the wrong way. And we'll give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You know, we have compassion on those that are going the wrong way, on the senator, on the people that he's trying to protect. We have compassion on them as Christians. Our heart should break Anger and self-righteousness, is that what Jesus expressed? When Jesus came to the earth, he so shook things up because here he was, the son of God. And those religious leaders of that day, they knew that word. And they were jealous of Jesus from the beginning because he had power and influence over the people they knew nothing about because he was operating under the true spirit of God. All they had was words and ideas. Their hearts were far from the Lord. Not all of them. There were some that followed him, but most of them. And in their jealousy and in their rage, they just followed him around and tried to trip him up and tried to make him disreputable amongst the people. And one day, as you know, they took a woman who they said was caught in adultery and threw her at the feet of Jesus and said, the law says to Stoner, what are you going to do? They had observed that he was a man of mercy and compassion, something that they knew nothing about. This was a huge challenge for Jesus Christ because the word did say to Stoner. And you know the story. What did he say? He said, yeah, that's what Moses said. But the first one to throw a stone, I want it to be the one of you that hasn't sinned. You want to judge this woman according to the law? Cool. Which one of you has kept the law perfectly? You throw the first stone. And there was only one standing there that could have done that, and that was Jesus himself. And that was not his heart. And Jesus Christ was the only one that had the power to forgive sins. He began to operate in the power to forgive sins before he even went to the cross because he was God Almighty. And the word says he was crucified before the foundation of the world. So he was the manifested mercy of God, and he turned everything upside down. Um, I've been hearing a lot about, uh, oh, I, don't, I don't need to go there, but um, Jesus Christ was the manifested New Testament before he even went to the cross. So I want to go to John chapter 4 which is where I shared out of last time, and we're going to continue in this, but we're going to look on. And um, if you're not familiar with this story, Jesus comes to a Samaritan woman 
which was a thing that was forbidden by the religious leaders. Um, men didn't even talk to women in public, let alone one-on-one, -on -one, let alone a sinner woman who wasn't even a Jew at this well. And Jesus Christ comes to this woman and has a confrontation with her and tells this woman who was not even a Jew in John chapter 4. Let, let's start with that. Uh, verse 25. So, Jesus is, Jesus is talking to her about something she has no way of knowing anything about, living water. He's at the well. He asks her for a cup of water. And then he tells her, you know, if you knew who I was talking to you, you'd ask me for living water, and you would never be thirsty again. And he's talking to her about spiritual water. How many of us walk the face of this earth? There's 7.4 billion people on the face of the earth today. And the vast majority of them, even in the church, only know about physical hunger, physical thirst, physical need, physical, physical um, um, satisfaction. The majority of them don't even know they're a spirit. And that they have spiritual needs, a spiritual hunger, a spiritual thirst. And that's what Jesus was talking to this woman about. That's just so beautiful to me. I know she didn't understand. And, and she said... She said in uh, verse 25, the woman says to him as they're having this conversation, one thing I know is that there's a Messiah coming. Somebody told her that somewhere along the way, and it hit her heart. There's a Savior coming. There's a Messiah coming, and his name is Christ, the anointed of God. When he comes, he's going to explain everything to us. You Jews say worship here. Our people say worship there. All religion is is fighting and disagreement. You know, I do my thing. Pat, you know, the conversation goes on where he tells her, go get your husband if you want the water. And, and confession time comes. She's, and she's so open. I love that. She says, you know what? I, I don't have a husband. He says, yeah, that's the truth. You've had five, and the guy you're with now, you're not even married to. This is the kind of woman Jesus is talking to in this highly, highly religious environment. I'm going to divert for just a minute. Um, we were invited to a Jewish wedding in a hotel we were staying at once about 10 years ago. And they were Hasidic Jews. They were um, Orthodox Jews. And they were wearing the black hats. And they had the rings. And, and the women dressed a certain way. And, and we learned about the Jews in the Bible. And, you know, Marty always taught us things about Judaism. And we were, like, really excited. These young men invited us on the elevator to come and look at the wedding and experience it because we we're like, oh, you guys are Orthodox Jews, and we think that's really cool. Well, we would find out later that they were not supposed to talk to us, let alone invite us to their family's wedding. So we got a little card, and we put a money gift in there for the couple, and we went down to the wedding ignorantly. And um, we got in there, and there was there, the women and the men were very separated, and I just didn't notice. And I was looking for a place to put the gift, like a gift table, and I couldn't find one. And um, there's an older man with the, the hat and the black coat and the ringlets. And I, I said, excuse me? And he, and he didn't answer me. I said, excuse me? I was like, oh, well, obviously he can't hear me. <laughs> so I tapped him. And I would find out later, you do not touch them because I defiled him. And he turned and gave me a look that literally physically hit me and hurt. I will never forget it. He looked at me like I was the dirtiest, filthiest, 
just scum of the earth, and how dare I touch him? Now, if you've ever been in Christianity and you've ever been in a church, you know about religion. We've all been touched and hurt by religious attitudes. We all get them. It's part of the human thing. But not like this. I, it actually was so powerful that I went upstairs and laid down and felt physically hurt and physically sick and cried and prayed for like two hours. It was like I needed the Lord to heal me. It was quite amazing. But I thank God for that experience because I said, oh my goodness, that is a taste of what followed Jesus around every single day while he was trying to talk to people about the kingdom of God and heal the sick. He would heal somebody and they would come and attack him. You know, they wanted to kill him and Jesus said, you know, for which of the good works that I did do you want to kill me? And they said, oh, not for that, but because you say you're the son of God. Not for that. Like, they're so religiously blind, they couldn't even see all the miracles, all the good. That's how religion was. And I told God, I said, you know, I'm your daughter. I've been washed in the blood of Christ. I'm nothing special. I'm one of many. But that man thinks I'm of the devil. And he has no idea. You know, and I prayed for him. Um, but... That's the kind of a religious environment there wasn't any other kind at this time when Jesus showed up. And so he's talking to this woman, and even his own disciples come back, and they're like, what are you doing, Jesus? And he didn't even answer them. Um, so this woman says in verse 25, when Christ comes, he's going to tell us everything. And then verse 26, Jesus says to her, I that speak to thee am he. Now, we're all real familiar with the day that he asked his disciples, you know, he said, he, they were saying, you know, people say you're Elias, and people say you're this and that, and he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you're the Messiah, the Son of God. We're all familiar with that, right? And then he confirms it and says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Peter. You're blessed. But I love this. The first person he told that he was the Messiah was this Gentile woman that he shouldn't even have been talking to. I just think that's so beautiful. He shared that secret with this woman. And that's how he feels about you and I. No matter how low we feel ourselves, how, how uh, un, unspecial, ungodly, ungifted, and whatever, we all have those attitudes. We're really funny creatures. We go from I'm the most awesome to I'm the, I'm the least, I'm afraid. You know, we don't have much in between. <laughs> and that really stems out of too much self-awareness, really. You know, we're, we're so worried about ourselves and how we look and where we fit in the ladder of things but when you find Jesus Christ it's the most beautiful thing that can just go away because if he loves me that's all I need to know it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. doesn't matter what I think he loves me he values me enough that he shed his blood revealed himself to me and is gonna let me live with him forever and ever and ever and reign and rule and out of that kind of an understanding, we should lose fear of what people think. We should lose fear to tell somebody about Jesus Christ when we're walking in that kind of an understanding. So let's move on past that to where I really wanted to go. Uh, chapter 4 still and verse 33. So this woman runs off, leaves her water pot, and goes to tell everybody, hey, there's this guy that told me everything I ever did. He's the Messiah. And she ran and told all the men in the city. In the meantime, 
the disciples had left in the first place to go get food because they were hungry and they came back and they're like, Jesus hasn't eaten anything. You got to eat. And in verse 34, Jesus says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. What I love about that verse right there, Jesus was thirsty. Jesus was hungry. Jesus was in a human body. You and I are so aware of our physical needs. I've been trying to do this thing. I talked about spiritual thirst last time. So I've been trying to do this thing that every time I take a drink of water or iced tea or whatever, I try to think, okay, I'm drinking more, paying attention to how much I'm drinking and saying, how much spiritual water have I drank today? How is it evening out with my natural water and my spiritual water? Because your spirit is just as thirsty as your natural body, and it has a much greater capacity to drink in the things of the Spirit of God. And so Jesus, in his human body, and some of you have experienced this, because he went to Samaria, led by the Spirit, led this woman to belief in himself, knew in his heart that she was out there witnessing to that whole city, he was so satisfied, so filled with joy and contentment, and he called it meat. He had eaten. His spirit was so full that it made him unaware of his physical hunger and his physical thirst. Have you ever experienced that? It's a powerful thing. That's one of the dynamics that happens with fasting. I mean, you start out, your body is screaming, what are you doing? We're going to die. But after a couple of days, if you ignore it, and you do have to drink water when you fast, and you do have to check with your doctor if you have physical issues and use wisdom, but your body will be quiet, and then you get to experience something we very rarely do, which is your spirit man comes to the forefront, and you begin to feel him and get to know him and he interacts so fluidly with the spirit of God and the things of heaven and and you know our prayer meetings are way too small it's the same rotating group of people that come in and I understand that some people work and I hope that some of you are 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 in agreement with those prayer meetings wherever you're at but our prayer meetings are too small, and I know part of the reason is that a lot of people have never broken through in prayer. And so prayer is just, I said everything I could think of to God, and I'm done. And you've never broken through to that interaction. Um, if any of you have, have done running or some kind of a sport, you know that when you start, it's nothing but pain and agony. And you get into a place where your flesh kind of goes, okay, this is what we're doing. I get it now. And you break through this wall. And your flesh starts to, get, um, starts to get developed in the muscles and it quits complaining. And you actually get to the place where, like, you get up in the morning and your body's like, hey, we're going running. That's what we do now. And it's conditioned. And you broke through its rebellion at this new thing. And you've broken through the flesh and you've trained it. Well, it's like that in prayer. You have to be determined, and you have to say, you know what, I obviously need to pray. It doesn't feel good. I don't get much out of it. I don't understand it that well. But I am going to set a time and an amount of time, and I'm going to do it until it does feel good. And you ask God, teach me to pray. Show me. And there is a breaking through because your flesh man wars against your spirit. The word tells us that. You, it's up to you to win the war. I can't win it for you. You can't win it for me. And we make those decisions. 
We make those decisions of what is important to us, and, and we'll make those decisions. I'm going to do everything but pray. I'm going to do everything but read, and then we go shake our fist in God's face and say, where are you, and what, why didn't you do this, and why are you doing that? Uh, you know, the right-wing conservative church, we complain about Obama, we complain about abortion, we complain about all of these things, but how much time have we really spent in prayer and in weeping over those souls? I heard uh, Ravi Zacharias say something recently that was so powerful. Um, people never want to look at the flowers and the trees and say, thank you, God. Oh, thank you for this food that grows every year, no matter how we're behaving and the rain that comes. And, you know, thank you for all this wonderfulness. But as soon as something goes wrong, it's God's fault. And he was, he was, talking, about, um, he was talking about abortion. And he, I think he was quoting somebody else, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, he said that uh, people are going to stand before God when we're in heaven and say, if you're a good God, why did you let all that cancer ravage all of those people? Why didn't you send a cure? And he said, God may say, well, there was how many millions of babies that you killed? And, you know, a good number of those were, were going to be cancer specialists. A good number of those were going to be experts in this and that that you needed but you killed them. So we need to be real with God. We want to judge God, but we don't judge ourselves. Amen. We want to blame God that he hasn't revealed himself to us, but we won't study this, you know. That's how I was when I was lost. It's like, God, you have to reveal yourself to me. Well, he did in so many ways. Was, was I reading the word? Was I really praying? No, I was looking in all the dark places for satisfaction, and I had to come by way of death and destruction and agony and get to the place of, okay, if you're real, I'm ready. Reveal yourself to me. And then I really wanted to know, and then he did. But a lot of times, it's just an excuse. And it's an excuse. We blame God for not revealing himself because we just want to do what we want to do. But... Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Verse 35, and now he's talking to his disciples, and, and like he so often did, he's speaking totally over their heads. But later, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, they would come back. The Holy Ghost would bring all those words to them, and they would understand, and they would write the letters that we read today, full of the revelation of who Jesus was and what he meant and what his life meant. Um, so he said to them, Say ye not, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you. And again, I think he was talking in the natural. I think that they were at the season that in four months, the natural harvest was coming. And so he talks to them in the natural and then takes it to the spiritual. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he didn't just see this woman. He spoke to this woman knowing she would go speak to the whole village. And then he talks to them about what it is to labor. Let's, let's read that verse 36. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, gathereth fruit unto eternal life. Wow. How much fruit have we gathered to eternal life by reaping souls? That both he that sows and he that reaps may rejoice together. When we join in to reaching for souls whether it be by the spoken word, by the lifestyle, by prayer and intercession, um, by supporting the preachers of the gospel who actually preach, 
and herein is that saying true. We, we join in with those that have sowed. We join in with this labor that's been going on since Christ spoke to this woman, since 2,000 years ago, since before that when the prophets prophesied it from the time of Adam, this day of grace, this day of reaping. We are laboring with them. Verse 37, herein is that saying true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and you are entered into their labors. And Jesus, in these moments, he knew this would be recorded. He wasn't just speaking to them. He was speaking to us. The word says that when he was on the cross, well, actually, it's a song that says when he was on the cross, he looked ahead in time and saw us. But we know that he did by the way he prayed before he went to the cross. And he prayed for his disciples. And he said, not these only, but all those that are going to believe on their word. And that comes all the way down to you and I. And so when Christ was preaching, he knew we'd be reading his words. And he's talking to us because there is a harvest in every generation. No matter how old you are, no matter what era you're born in, there is a harvest Oh my gosh, if, if we went back to the 1800s in the time of Finney, those people were uh, having a revival and got so on fire for God. If they could look ahead to our day and see where we're at in our country with atheism and our backslidden condition in the church, they would be shocked. It's because every generation has to reap the harvest. We had our prayer meeting here uh, last night, and um, I had an experience with the Lord. You know, we come into his presence, and, and, and we empty our burdens. He tells us, cast our burdens on him. You know, that whatever's on your heart, the mortgage payment, my unsaved loved one, uh, my sickness, these situations. We lay them at his feet, and then in prayer, mature prayer, we say, what's on your heart, Lord? What's, that's intercession. That's intercession. When we take the needs of those who don't know how to reach God and bring them to God, and then we take the heart of God and let him pray through us into the earth. And I began to see people lost in the darkness, just wandering like they were blind, wandering, wandering, wandering. And then it was like I saw his servants just wandering those that were lost, were they're in pain, they're in darkness, they're searching, and they couldn't find the light. Those that are supposed to be giving the light, are just, they were just wandering around, you know, content, happy, doing their own thing. Not even in unity. They were just in a field, wandering around. And it was like, I'm seeing this, and it's like, these are the people that are supposed to be giving light to the lost, and they aren't even together. They're wandering around in their own world. Aren't we like that? We're so full of me, what I'm going through, what I feel. My relationship is all about God fixing stuff for me. And Gretchen preached it the other night, the unity of the body. When we come together understanding what we're here for. Look, when I got saved, I was so sick of the world. I was so sick of my flesh. I was so sick of everything that the world had to offer me every dirty drink. That's all it can give you is dirty, dirty, muddy, infested waters. I was so sick of that. And when I found the fresh water of Jesus Christ who cleansed me from my wickedness, cleansed me from my filth, I was like, okay, I'm ready to come home, Lord. 
And if he didn't have work for me to do, I wouldn't be here. He didn't just leave me here so I could acquire nice clothes and a nice car and a nice home and, and watch nice TV shows and enjoy my nice family. That's not, that's, that's okay. But that's not the point. He said, seek first my kingdom and all this stuff. He said, the Gentiles look for all that stuff. He said, if you, my people, will seek me first, all that will be added unto you according as it's needed according to his plan for our life. And you know what? Sometimes we are praying and believing for those closest to us. And that's a good thing. But sometimes the Lord will say, you know what? Lay that at my feet and serve me. Go reach for somebody else. Let me handle that person. Because you know what? We'll use those things as an excuse. Lord, when you make my world perfect, then I can serve you. Then I can do something for you. But until then, I'm so burdened by this person, by this situation. And the Lord says, do you believe I'm God or not? Did, did I buy you with my blood? Are you my servant or am I your servant? That's real Christianity. If we've really met Jesus, I tell you what, when you really meet him, you see your sin. And when you see your sin, the thankfulness for him washing it away is so deep that you want to say, God, here am I. What can I do for you? Heaven and eternity becomes so real, and you know that you have that, that it's like, take my life. And do what you will. Now, our flesh and the devil and the world will fight that kind of commitment every day as soon as our eyes open in our mind. But that's what happens when you've really met him. And I, and I would say, if you've never had an experience like that, maybe you've never met him. Maybe you joined a church. Maybe you believe some good ideas about him. But you need to meet him. Until your sins have been cleansed, until you've been born again and changed into a new being, you really can't serve him. It's really not going to make any sense. He told Nicodemus, who came to him by night, one of those religious leaders who wasn't blind and saw clearly this guy who's healing sick people and casting out devils and doing all of this incredible, miraculous stuff that none of us religious leaders can do. Clearly, he's of God. Snuck out by night because he was afraid of those religious leaders and said, Obviously, you're of God. Explain it to me. And he says to Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And today we have mega churches full of people who have never met Christ and never been born again. They've accepted an idea about a person named Jesus. And most of it's false because the Jesus that they preach to them is the Jesus that says, hey, you're cool. You know, people have been telling you for a long time that I think you're a sinner. Well, I don't. I think you're pretty awesome, and I'm going to give you a job promotion and a better house. And don't think about eternity, because that's what those old-fashioned Christians do. That's not Jesus. That's a mirage. That's a lie. And my heart goes out to those people. I had a grandma who prayed for me, and my mom and, and dad let me go to a church that was neighborhood church when I was a little girl was full of the spirit of God. They were having a move of God. And I would go to children's church, then I would sneak into the, I thought I was sneaking into the big service because I saw all the families there and I was like by myself, so I thought I wasn't supposed to go because they called it the adult service. So I thought I was getting away with something sneaking in there. But I would go because they were having a move of God. I knew nothing about the word of God. 
I didn't understand a word of it, but I knew that when they started singing, that I wouldn't have called it a presence, I was a kid, but that presence would come that was the best thing I ever felt in my life, and I knew who it was. I didn't know, you know, I mean, they told me his name was Jesus, God the Father, but in my heart of hearts, I knew that presence, I loved that presence, and it made me feel wonderful. And then, and then somebody would speak out in another language, no idea what they said. I knew that was God. I had nobody teach me uh, 1 Corinthians. I, I heard God. I knew it was God. It was not that person. It was so otherworldly. And then somebody would say what God said, had no idea what they were talking about, but I knew it was God. And then they would give the altar calls, and I would, I would make my way up there with everybody else, and I would just begin to weep and weep and weep. And that's what I'm talking to you about. I was a spirit. My brain had no clue what was going on, but my spirit was being touched by my maker and interacting with him, and my hurts were being washed away. Little children have hurts. And prayer was moving through me. God wants to move through us in prayer. The kind of prayer I'm talking about is not just the prayer of what we perceive that we need, it's the kind of prayer where God's heart moves through his people in the earth. Why? Because we're the blood-bought children of the Father. He's given us promises, promises, promises. Ask, and I will do it. And he's planted us in the earth, and he moves through us as we ask. Father, there's people all over this city that don't know you, who have broken hearts and broken bodies and broken marriages, Broken children, they have no idea how to find you. God, send your light. God, move through me. God, move through whoever. God, send your word. God, send your Holy Spirit. Because the word without the Holy Spirit doesn't touch the heart, the spirit. I would be in those altars and not in my head understand a thing, but my spirit was touched by God. We are an emaciated church. We're a weak church. We don't have the presence and the power of God, and we wonder why the world looks at us like they do. The Word of God says that in the book of Acts that the church was added to daily, that they had favor with, with man and, and, and the public that was around them. Yes, there was persecution, but it didn't come from the average sinner. It came from uh, political leaders and religious leaders. The average sinner was drawn to the church because there was a love and a beauty and a light and a power that was undeniable. Uh, turn with me really quick over to the book of Acts. Um, the book of Acts chapter 9. So Jesus has died. He's gone to heaven. He told them, he told them, tarry and wait for the Holy Ghost. And when he's come on you, then you're going to receive power. Then you're going to go out and preach my word. And people are going to come into the kingdom of God. That's so powerful. Without ever seeing Jesus Christ. I've never seen Jesus Christ. Have you seen Jesus Christ? But I know he lives. I know he's real. Why? Because of the Holy Ghost confirming the word that God gave. Hallelujah. Acts chapter 9, and we have Peter here doing what the Lord told him to do. I challenge you, read the book of Acts, read all their sermons. You won't find one sermon where it says, and Jesus came and died on the cross because he wants you to be comfortable all the time and have a lovely life where you have everything that you want. 
Jesus and the disciples talked about persecution, talked about hardship. Jesus said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And he was so happy because he was going to send the Holy Ghost, who is the comforter. Why do we need a comforter? Because life isn't easy, because there's persecution, because there's tribulation. But just like Jesus' physical hunger and thirst was overcome by the Holy Ghost and the satisfaction and feeding of his spirit on doing the will of God, that Holy Ghost gives a comfort that's greater than persecution. That Holy Ghost gives us a comfort so that like Stephen, when he preached the gospel with might and power, so that some no doubt were saved and others said, I got to shut him up and began to throw stones at him. That Holy Ghost comforter was so powerful that he could look up to heaven and shine like an angel and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what, that's power. A stone is hitting you in the head, but something inside of you is so much greater than that pain that he didn't say, oh, never mind, guys, I didn't mean it, quit throwing rocks at me says that he looked up and he saw Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of the Father to receive him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's where we're supposed to live, church. That's what the living church is supposed to be like. It's all about Jesus Christ, living for him, dying for him, being full of him, offering this physical body for his use. We've got young people who want nothing to do with the church because it's stupid. What we preach and what we do is stupid. You've got people running to Afghanistan to join ISIS because they want something that means something. They want to give their life for something. They want a cause. There's no greater cause than saving souls from an eternal hell, but we haven't made it real to them. It doesn't make any sense. When we come home from church and talk about one another, people that have been raised in the church, and it's like they don't see any love, any compassion, any desire to touch the lost, what do they want to do with that? What is that? But kids that see a mom and dad on their knees praying, crying out, Loving those that, that hate them, loving those that attack them, that's powerful. I've heard the testimonies of kids. They grow right up and go right into the mission field because they know it's real because they saw it in their home. And praise God we can repent when we've messed up and ask God to touch our kids and ask God to show them something real. But in Acts chapter 9, verse 32, it came to pass as Peter passed throughout all the quarters just out there preaching the gospel, he came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. When you've been in bed eight years, people know it in your town, in your community. It's not a secret. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise, make thy bed, and he arose immediately. Verse 35, and all that dwelt at Lydda and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. Did that say, that's two cities there, Lydda and Saron. Did that say that some people saw this man get up and be healed and turn to the Lord? A few people? Those that were, you know, uh, lean towards religious things. It says, all that dwelt at Lydda and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. We've got a whole big part of the church today that is all about miracles and signs and wonders, and yet they don't preach the gospel. 
The word is very clear. Jesus said, go preach the gospel that people need to be forgiven of their sins. I want to come into their heart and live in them. I want to be their Lord. I am their Lord. I made them. Their sin has separated us, but I want to bring them back to myself. Go preach that gospel, and I'll work with you with signs and wonders following. But we want to not preach that gospel and just have signs and wonders why so that people will look at us and go, ooh, they're cool. I want to join their church. And we've got these, these massive churches raking in the bucks. I don't know what they're doing with them. Um, <clears throat> some of them do humanitarian works, but like we're saying tonight, people are not just a body that needs a, a water well. They have a spirit that needs to be resurrected and born again. The church has no business doing humanitarian acts without the gospel. Why would we minister to the body that's going to perish and not minister to the soul that's going to live forever? But we become so confused, you know, because we just, we don't think. People go, oh, well, they're doing good. It's good. It's good. They're do good is nice, but what did Jesus say? Did he say, I want you to go and, 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 and make wells all over the earth, physical wells for people? Yes, he did say, I was hungry and you didn't visit me. I was thirsty and you didn't visit me. But we've already seen that when Jesus says something in the natural, he's also talking about the spiritual. So when he said, you know, I was in prison and you visited, he wasn't just wanting people to go and do Girl Scout things. He wanted them to go, yeah, give them a cup of water. Give them your coat. But tell them the gospel. Tell them the truth. Preach the word. Hallelujah. I wanted to talk about, I don't know how much time I've, I wanted to talk about hearing his voice. Hearing his voice, and I may have to save that for another message because I didn't even start it, but the other night that uh, we had prayer, I began to, as I saw these people wandering in darkness, I could feel the heart of God for them. And you say, why didn't God just show up for those people? Well, you know what? Sometimes he does do that. In, in places like uh, Deepest Dark Africa, there's, there's stories from missionaries in places like uh, the Middle East where you can't just go into a church. Sometimes an angel will come or a person will have a dream revealing Jesus Christ to them. But you know who always comes right after that? A human being. <laughs> a member of the body of Christ directed by the Holy Ghost will come and say, you know, the Lord wants me to share something with you. And it's so God right after this person has had a dream about Jesus that it's undeniable. But when you read through the book of Acts, God uses people. And I began to hear in my spirit, God the Father crying out for the harvest, for the lost, crying out, and, and he made me to sense how much his people are not listening, not answering that call from the heart of the Father. How selfish are we when we say, I've received Jesus, he's cleansed me, I'm going to live forever, but I'm not going to lift a finger to, 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 to make sure somebody else gets that, to make sure somebody else doesn't go to hell. And going to hell was where I was going. And you know how the Lord revealed himself to me in part was not my challenges. If you've got to reveal yourself to me, you know what he revealed to me? He revealed to me the stinking, filthy devils that were all over me. I began to see them. And fascination of fascination. When I saw them, I went, Jesus, help. 
Geez, suddenly Jesus was real. When you've been through something like that, as we all have, whether the Lord showed you those demons that were just waiting for you to breathe your last breath so they could drag you to hell, whether you've seen it or you haven't seen it, we're all in this same boat of we've received so much grace and mercy, and what's wrong with us if we don't want to share that? I'm not saying this, you know, like, like you people out here, you don't share. It's not like that. I'm talking about the body of Christ at large. We look at our nation and we see how we failed. You can't deny it. You can't deny it. Where is our power and our influence that comes from the love of Jesus Christ? Marty likes to quote the fact that it says, all the sinners drew near to Jesus. They all drew near to him. They didn't run from him. But we find them running from us a lot, the modern-day church. So what do we do? So we say, God, what's wrong? Show me. Teach me. Change me. Do what you've got to do in me. I was listening to Leonard Ravenhill preach the other night, and he said, he said, I tell you what, five seconds in heaven in the presence of God, and we're all going to wish we had sacrificed more, we had prayed more, we had done more. Right now we can feel like we're doing good, but, I mean, imagine it. Think about it. We, we need to think about these things. We need to goad ourselves into the reality of the spirit world. Because this natural world puts us to sleep. Everything's okay. Everything's fine. You know, God's in control. God will move. God will say, well, God is calling the church. Is the church listening? Yes, God wants to save them. Yes, God wants to move. But he moves through people. He moves through people. He moves through us. He said, you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. But do we listen to him? Do we hear him? And I have, I have a whole teaching on the book of Acts that I didn't get into at all, except for that one with, uh, with Peter on hearing him. Let, let me just run through it really quick, and I, I'll, I'll believe the Holy Ghost to, to bring it out. Acts chapter 8. We're just going to walk through these real quick, because I don't want to keep you here all night. Acts chapter 8. This is how the Holy Spirit moves in people who are real Christians, yielded and sold out, Yes, we're not all apostles like these men were, but whoever you are, if you have the Holy Ghost, he's trying to lead you and guide you to do something for his kingdom. Yeah. Acts 8.5, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Jump over to verse 14. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. What's so cool about this is that Jesus prophesied to that woman at the well and said, you're going to receive a well of living water springing up in you, and you're never going to thirst again. He was prophesying to her the coming of the Holy Ghost that didn't even come. It didn't come till the day of Pentecost. And then we see Philip, who was obviously led by the Spirit, down there preaching in Samaria. And then we see the Holy Ghost lead Peter and John sent by the leadership, hearing from the Holy Ghost to Samaria to fulfill the very promise of Jesus Christ that he prophesied to that woman. She went out and evangelized her city. They were all ready and waiting like little birds with their mouths open to receive the Holy Ghost. Yeah, give me that water, heaven. 
uh, verse 15, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost, for as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Jump over to verse 25. And when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem and preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Because when I first read that, I'm like, well, how do I know it was the village she was from? And then I saw verse 25, and I'm like, yeah, Jesus had to get that village in there for sure, her village. Um, verse 26, the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. People want angelic visitations. People are like, I want to hear from God. Well, when God has spoken to you by a prompting, by just common sense, do the right thing, not the wrong thing, do you listen? Why should he do some big miraculous speaking to you when you've already proved you don't listen? Start obeying in the small things if you want the big things. Why did he send an angel of the Lord in this important assignment to Philip? Because Philip listened. Philip was already obeying God. And he says to him, I love this, Arise, go toward the south, unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is in the desert. He sends him an angel. And what does is, what is Philip do? Did he say, well, you know, I, I, I would like to do that, but the Super Bowl's on. I'm going to watch that first, and then I'll think about obeying you. And God understands I like football. And, it's, and he arose and went, and he arose and went, and he arose and went, and he arose and went. And how simple is that? And when he went... How many times has God told you to do something and you're like, why? Well, I don't know why. Why should I go to Ethiopia? Why, or why do I, why do I want to go on that road? To, that's not God. I don't know anybody there. I'm in the middle of a revival here. What on earth should I go over there? No, that's not God. Do you know how many times we second guess ourselves and miss God? But this guy, you know what? It's better sometimes to just, if you think it's God, do it. I'd rather miss it that way than the other way. And lo and behold, he goes, and here's this man, a great man. I love how God picks these big fishes that are going to influence other people. Don't be afraid of the big fishes. If God's got his mark on them, you're, you're good enough to hit the target. Just say what he says to say. Do what he says to do. He arose and he went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of Ethiopia, very important man, who had the charge of all of her treasure and came to Jerusalem to worship God, but he didn't know about Jesus. He only knew the old law. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading the prophet Isaiah. Here's this man, this very important man, who has a fear of God and goes to Jerusalem to worship under the little bit of light that he has. Knows nothing about Jesus, and he's trying to read the word, and he doesn't understand it. God in heaven sees this man's hunger, sees this man's uh, willingness to serve on the level he understood, and what does he do? He brings him more. He's struggling to understand Isaiah. He, he doesn't know any. He's out there by himself in the desert, and the Spirit of God sends somebody from the middle of a revival. Then the Spirit of, uh, says to Philip when he finds this guy, go near and join yourself to his chariot. Philip ran thither to him and heard him reading the book of Isaiah and said, do you understand what you're reading? How cool is that? God, I don't understand this. Philip shows up, hey, did you need some help with that? That's awesome, in the middle of nowhere. Hallelujah. You never know when you're the answer. We think so much, you know. 
he's an important man. He doesn't, he doesn't want me to, I'm going to run up and scare him and he's going to shoot me. Or he doesn't want to hear what I have to say. He probably doesn't even believe. He's probably reading it because he, he thinks it's stupid. Or, you know, we think all kinds of things. Talk ourselves. He just obeyed God. And uh, in verse 30, Philip ran thither to him, heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And so Philip gets to sit there and, and preach to him, You're reading about Jesus, and tell him the story of Jesus. The man gets saved, they stop the chariot, gets out, baptizes him in the water. It's absolutely awesome. You just don't know how the Lord can use you when you listen and obey. And you know, when you're involved in something like that, all your little stuff just kind of goes away. It really, really does. Um, flip the page. Well, in mine, it's flip the page. Go to chapter 9. Might not be a page flip in yours. Chapter 9. Here's another one. So Saul... Saul, who stood there and held the coat while they killed that precious Stephen and, and, and was in total agreement. Yes, kill Stephen. He's, he's saying the wrong things. He needs to die. Saul's just filled with all this violence and thinking he's serving God. He's persecuting the whole church. And on his way to do some more persecuting, we know that Jesus Christ appears. Isn't that beautiful, too? A religious man thinking he's serving God. And Jesus shows up and says, excuse me, you've got it all wrong, and allows him in his mercy to be thrown from his horse, to be humbled, to be abased, to be blinded, and reveals himself to this man. And so here's Saul, who's this big, bad, scary Saul, and now he's this blinded, humbled, hurting little Saul who needs help. And God says in verse 10, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prays. And he's seen a vision, and a man named Ananias coming to him and putting his hand on him that he might receive sight. That's so cool. So God's giving Paul a vision saying, this guy named Ananias is going to come to you. He's going to, he's going to lay his hand on you, and you're going to see again. Because he's laying there, God, I'm so sorry. I'm blind. Help me. What do I do? And so then God's working on both sides here. And then verse 13, then Ananias answered the Lord. And I love this. You can be honest with the Lord. You could talk to the Lord. And he says, Lord, I've heard many things about this man, Saul, how much evil he's done to the saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. And it's, in case you didn't know, Lord, are you sure you want me to do? Do you know who this man is? And, and God is so merciful. You know, he is so merciful. We're just people. We have fears. We have anxieties. Verse 15. But, you know, the, the key is to tell him. You know, what did, what did Jonah do when he didn't want to obey the Lord? He ran off and bought a ticket and got on a cruise ship in the other direction instead of just telling God, you know, I don't get it, God, you know, explain this to me or don't explain it to me, but I need to speak this out. You know, these are really bad people. You want me to go preach to them? I don't want to. You still say, yes, okay, I'll do it. Um, so verse 15, but the Lord said to him, go your way, for he, speaking of Saul, is a chosen vessel to me, and he's going to bear my name before the Gentiles. 
and the kings and the children of Israel. And all that happened. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Verse 17. Ananias went his way. That's a very powerful scripture right there. Ananias went his way. I've underlined these. And Peter went. And Ananias went. And they just went and did what the Lord said. They heard him and they obeyed. First, you've got to be able to hear him. Can't hear him if you're not listening. Can't hear him if you don't want to know what he's saying. Can't hear him if you don't care what he wants and you're only talking about what you want to him all the time. They heard him. They obeyed. He entered into his house, and then we know he ministered to Saul. Saul received his sight. Now you think about that. Ananias, do we hear more about him after this? Saul became the greatest harvest tool of that era. He was given the revelation to write these letters that we read that explain the Gospels and explain the Old Testament, along with Peter and James, and, but mostly Paul. And here Ananias obeyed God and ministered to this man and began to set him up where he could begin to obey the call. How important was that job that God gave to Ananias? You see, when it comes to the harvest, there's all different kinds of labors. There's all different parts. We just need to obey. You know, maybe you're not a preacher. There's people that go out on the mission field that aren't even called. Obey what he tells you to do. When God wakes you up in the middle of the night and you're thinking about pastor, stand, pray. I've been having this experience lately where I've been asking God to change me, change the hardness of my heart that I interact with people all day long that don't know him and don't think much about it. And I've been having this experience where I lay down at night and all of a sudden the Holy Ghost takes me through my whole day from the person at the gas station to the person at the swimming pool to the person. And I begin to see all of those people, brief interactions, you know, and it's like he's telling me, I love this one, I love that one, I love this one. And just begin to pray and intercede. Simple prayers, you don't have to be profound. It's like, God, help them, save them, send someone to them, send me back to do what you need to do. It's that intercessory act. That's what the church is here for. We intercede like Christ intercedes. If you read the book of Acts, you're going to see he went. They heard. They went. They, the Holy Spirit talked to, talked to the leaders when they were in prayer and said, send Paul and Barnabas out. They prayed over them and they went. It's, it's all just about caring, first of all, loving him, caring what he wants. You know, he has a specific plan for everyone in this building. Very specific. He's laid out a plan for my today, my tomorrow, my plans I've missed. But he has a perfect plan for me and for you. There is nobody here from the three little beautiful girls on the front row to the most elderly person here, which I don't know who that is, thankfully, so I won't say them, until the day we take our last breath. We see our lives like it's random days, and sometimes God steps in and does something in people's lives or in the world. Oh, no, 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 no. It's random because we're random. He's not random. We're random about our obedience. We're random about <laughs> everything. Random and disorder are, are, are like brother and sister. God is all about order and perfection and beauty, and we don't see as much beauty in this world as we should because we're not in order with God. 
We're his servants. He's our master. And if it's not that way, we need to pray that it will be. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight just giving you thanks and praise because you are so good beyond what we understand. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity of your word. Now I'm asking tonight that you'd give each and every one of us a greater, greater hunger for that word that, that is so demanding, Lord God, that we will go and feed our spirit and grow and learn of you. God, that our questions can be answered, that, that, that like uh, Philip, we can answer other people's questions because we're full of your word, full of the knowledge and presence of you, Lord. I pray if there's anyone here tonight that, that hasn't made you Lord, Lord, that you would make them so thirsty, that they, that they would have such an encounter with your word, that, that, you would, that you would follow them in your spirit, Lord, that you would raise up laborers and Christians all around their life, prayer warriors, people who love you, Lord God, that not one of, of those stalks of grain in your harvest would be lost God, wake us up, your church. Wake us up all over this country and all over this world. Let the true voice of you come through your church, through your body, through your preachers, Lord God. Fine-tune our ears to hear your voice, Lord God. Make us your body. Make us your people. Make us your servants by your power of your Holy Ghost. And we will give you all the praise and honor and glory. And we look forward, Lord God, to seeing you face to face. We look forward to your coming and your returning. And until Christ returns, Lord, help us to be faithful and awake and circumspect and obedient. And we give you glory and we give you praise. We know you've heard our prayers tonight, Lord God. Now I'm asking that not one from the youngest to the oldest will leave this building unchanged and untouched by your spirit, that we would all be... Uh, aware, Lord God, that you have a will for our every moment, for all our strength, for all our energy, for all our thoughts, for all our emotions, Lord, and that we would say yes and yield to you in the mighty name of Jesus.